You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, good morning, guys. Good being with you. I was uh, 24 years old. Uh, I just met this beautiful girl. She was amazing. And I look back on this time and I remember thinking, man, if I could only be with her and marry her. I met her in, and I married her within nine months. Um, that lady is my wife, Leslie. I love her to death. She's awesome. She's a wonderful lady. And I had permission to tell the story I'm about to tell you. Uh, note to self, always ask permission before you share something sensitive. So I had a bachelor pad. It was in walking distance of the university, Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, University of Arkansas in Little Rock, big, big school there. Um, and I would ride my bike. I'd walk to, to school. I love my life. I was working at the church. I was a new Christian, had some rough edges around me. And honestly, for a bunch of new fired up Christians, sometimes they might do better just to be locked in a cage for like a year before they can get all those edges off of them because they can really kind of misrepresent Jesus and the church. And I was one of those guys, had some really rough edges around me. I came out of the party culture, came out of the being a prom king and the popular guy at school and wheeling and dealing, getting in trouble, kicked out of school. Then I come to Jesus. Then I begin serving in the church, working with youth kids, go to college, and I meet this beautiful girl, and I have a bachelor pad. I'd started my own businesses doing landscaping, doing different companies and stuff like that. Had all these guys living with me, working for me, and then all of a sudden I meet this girl, and I say, you guys got to move out. They're like, the party's over? I'm like, party's over, baby. Got to move. So they move out, and my wife comes in and I thought everything was going to just be kept the normal. I didn't think that she was going to try to change everything because I thought she liked what she got. And then she, wa- she walks in and then she says, like, we're going to paint that. I'm like, why did you say this when we were engaged? And she's like, well, I didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't mine. Now it's mine. I'm like, so she says, we're going to paint that room. We're going to move that couch out. That's an old ratty couch. Your dog can't sleep in the bed anymore. You need to move that dog out. We're going to put these new pictures up. I just sat there and I kind of looked around. I like started to cry. I'm like, this is different. So I started getting frustrated a little bit. I started not knowing how to deal with my anger. And we're going to talk about anger today, learning from the life of Jonah. And some of you are stuffers and some of you are spewers. And I was a spewer historically past. My family comes from a long line of kind of like generational outbursts, like just tell you like it is. But as a Christian, I became a new Christian. I'm like, I don't even know how to deal with anger anymore, God. So I kind of stuffed it for a little bit. And so she's kind of changing everything. And then she starts talking about how one day we're going to have to sell my truck and going to get a minivan. I'm like, that's it. I'm not going to do that. And then so one day it goes into this uh, tension moment. And we're newly married. And this is 17 years ago. She, she kind of gets mad at me. And... Uh, I start spewing, like I just start saying mean things and doing things that I'm not proud of. And I, and I say some things that are, I regret, you know, and she goes into the room and she's a stuffer. So she likes to like hide, isolate, retreat, doesn't want to deal with conflict. She goes in the room, she locks the door. And then uh, I come up and I, I start thinking like, okay, how long am I going to wait? I'll, I'll wait 15 minutes and then I will knock on the door and then we're going to resolve this because I got other things to do today. Don't want to drag out this tension. 
And so, you know, like when the Lord says, and the two shall become one, like I feel that. Like, and when there's tension, I don't feel one. I feel like two. So I want unity in the marriage, oneness in the marriage. So I'm trying to work this out. I get up in my best Christian voice and I'm like, hey, sweetie, it's me. You ready to talk? No. Okay, um, you know, the Bible does say, do not let the sun go down on your anger. She's like, quit quoting Bible verses at me. And so I'm like, okay, give it another little bit. And then all of a sudden, I knock again. Hey, sweetie, let's talk. Are you ready to apologize? I'm like, for what? She's like, go away. I'm like, oh my goodness. I don't even know what I did. What did I do wrong? What is going on? Like, I, I don't, I'm not slowing down enough. So then I start knocking on the door a little harder. I'm like, sweetie, come on, open the door. This is ridiculous. We've got plans today. We gotta go do stuff. She says, stop knocking on the door. I say, fine, I'll stop knocking on the door. So I start tapping on the door with my foot. I'm like, da, 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 da. She's like, what are you doing? I said, stop knocking on the door. I said, I'm not. I'm not knocking on the door. I'm just tapping on the door with my foot. Then I get mad. And she says, leave me alone. Just leave for the rest of the day. We're not doing anything today. And I'm like, uh-uh, no, you were opening this door. So I start to knock on the door a little harder with my foot. And all of a sudden, right behind me, it's a very narrow hallway. It's cheap sheetrock. It was a cheap house. So I go tap, tap. And then I think I'm going to give this one a good one. And I go, Whack! and all of a sudden, my foot is stuck in the sheetrock. And she says, what's that? And I pull it out. I say, nothing. It's fine. She says, Ryan, what did you just do? Did you knock a hole in the door? No, I did not knock a hole in the door. I start looking around for pictures. I'm like, I'll move that picture. I'll put it down here. So when she comes out, she'll just say, why'd you put the picture down there? And then we'll deal with that later. Here's what we're dealing with when it comes to anger. Some of you are stuffers. You're like Leslie, you're gonna go to the room, lock the door, leave me alone, don't wanna talk. Raise your hand, come on, who are you? Who's the stuffers in the church? Come on, raise your hands, who's the stuffers? Okay, good, now we got the stuffers. Now let's deal with the spewers. Just let them have it, talk about it, deal with it right away. Raise your hands, come on, where are the spewers? I can point you out if I know your marriage, I know who the spewers are, there we go. Okay, so we tend to go in one category or another. And let me tell you something, anger is not necessarily a bad thing. Jonah's gonna get really angry. He's angry with God because the way God has dealt with him, he feels like it's all unfair. Anger is not necessarily a bad thing. Jesus got angry, remember the temple? Jesus goes into the temple, a place of worship. What are they doing? They're like trying to make all this money in there, just turning the whole place into a den of robbers, he calls it. What does he do? He grabs the tables and then grabs a whip. He drives them out of there. Like that's Jesus in some intense anger. So is anger evil? No. Anger can actually be used as a great motivation for a great deal of good. If there's incredible injustice going on, holy, righteous anger can be a really good thing. The problem is Jesus' brother, James, his half-brother, because, you know, Jesus is divine from, his heavenly fa- from the heavenly father, and he is also, he had his mom, Mary, but James was his brother. James said something like this. He says, anger, and James would have spent a lot of time with Jesus. He said, anger, it seldomly produces the righteousness of God. In other words, most of the time, your anger doesn't really accomplish a whole lot. And today, what I'm going to challenge you to do is think about it like this. You got two choices 
today. You live like Jonah or you live like Jesus. And those of you who've been around a bit, you're like, well, I know I should be like Jesus. Well, and, but let's not throw Jonah under the bus. I would say you're, you're like Jonah. I'm like Jonah. He's a, I think he's a good, committed believer. I think he has a bad moment, a bad season or chapter in his life, and it just happens to get captured in the scriptures for us to learn from. But honestly, if you're like me, sometimes you learn more from mistakes than you do from not making the mistakes. And so Jonah chapter one, what do we see? Word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and Jonah does what? He runs. He goes the opposite direction. God said, go to Nineveh. He goes to southern Spain. Uh, Chapter two, in his disobedience, he's thrown overboard, he's gonna drown, and God sends a fish to swallow him to preserve his life, and in the belly of a whale, Jonah repents. That's chapter two. Incredible, powerful, poetic prayer, heartfelt. Was he deeply remorseful? Was it true repentance? I think so. I've studied it a lot. Chapter three, what happens? He returns to his divine mission. The setback becomes a comeback. He moves out on mission, follows the divine call. He goes to Nineveh, boom, there's a revival. But what happens with Jonah? Jonah chapter four, let's look. We see in Jonah chapter four, open your Bibles because I'm not gonna be able to keep all the scriptures on the screen the whole time. So open your Bibles, Jonah chapter four. I'm working in the English standard version because it's probably perhaps the best, best English translation that is word for word. So it is a little clunky, but it is word for word. So it's, 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 it's legit. So here we go. Jonah's peeved, he's frustrated. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly And he was, let's say it together, angry. And he prayed to the Lord, at least he's praying in his anger. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is this not what I said yet when I was in my country? That I was made, that that, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, that's southern Spain, for I knew that you were a gracious God, a merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I'm like, Jonah, what's wrong with that? Like, don't you want a God like that? Slow to anger, gracious, merciful? Well, you don't want a God like that if you don't like the people that God is trying to save. Because Nineveh was at war with Israel. They were, maybe not in that time, but in different times throughout Israel's history. Jonah is a Israelite. So this is a nation's enemy. So in other words, Jonah's like, you, you, you broke out a revival. You made them one of us. You used me to do it. I feel pawned, God. I feel like a tool. Jonah's upset about it. And like if you were a healthy believer and you didn't have all these anger issues wrapped around, you probably would be like, God, you are good. You are slow to anger, and that's a good thing. And I'm glad, but Jonah, the tone is not happy. He's not praising. This is sarcasm. This is anger. This is frustration. He's moved from stuffing it to spewing it. Watch this, verse three. Therefore, now, O Lord, watch this. Therefore, therefore, O Lord, please take my life, 
for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah's suicidal. Is he real? Is it legit? I mean, how many of you guys know folks, maybe you've done it yourself, like you say, if that happens, I'm going to take my life out. And then you tell somebody and you really didn't mean it, but you wanted the attention. Or you know somebody who said that to you and you're like, are they really sincere or is that just what? Well, regardless, you got to take it seriously. If anybody ever says something to you like that, like you got to take it absolutely seriously. Is Jonah being legitimate? My speculation would be is he's a bit sensational. How many of you, when you get angry, you say things you don't mean? Raise your hand. You're Jonah. I'm a Jonah. We say things that are kind of stupid sometimes. And then you got to do the damage control to fix what you just said. And then you you got to go work on the real issue. Jonah's like, take me out, God. He's unhealthy. And then verse four, I love God. This is what God does. This is how he always works. Verse four, read this with me. And the Lord said, let's read this together. This quote, do you do well to be angry? Let's read that together again. Do you do well to be angry? That's my question for you today. How's your anger? When you get angry, do you do well with that? So your options are you stuff it or spew it. That's kind of the two options that you and I trend towards or tend to do, right? We tend to do one or the other. Spew or stuff. Figure out who you are and what you're doing. Jonah is being asked by God this important question, and it reminds me of the question that he asked his first kids, the Lord's first kids, Adam and Eve. So when Adam and Eve were in the garden, the Lord was walking with them, talking with them, not like what we have today in our relationship with God. No, God was visibly present with Adam and Eve walking through the garden. You can read in the early account of Genesis, a historical account of how all things came into being. And his chief creation is humanity. He's walking with them and he tells them, don't eat of that one tree. That's the sign. That's the symbol. Don't disrespect that. Don't disobey. If you do, you're in trouble. And what do they do? They do it. So then they do it, and then the Bible says that the Lord came walking through the garden, and they're hiding because they're ashamed, they're afraid, they're terrified, and what does he do? Does he yell out, hey, come out here, you punk, rebellious kids, you? No, he, he, he says this, hey, Adam, hey, Eve, where are you? He asks you a question. And then he asks a couple more questions. Why did he do that? Because I think it's better for when we're tr- in trouble, right? Listen, when we're in trouble, we need to slow down and think, how did I get here? You want to know why Leslie wouldn't open that door? Because I didn't even know what I, how I hurt her. She said, do you know what you should apologize for? I'm like, nothing. She's like, stay out. See, God, what he'll do sometimes when you're in trouble, when you're in a major issue and your anger is spiraling out of control, he'll slow you down and he wants you to figure it out. He wants you not to spew. He doesn't want you to to stuff it. He wants you to study it. I think that's what we see here. Do you do well to be angry? It's asking a question. What does Jonah do? Does he respond? Let's look, verse five. Jonah went out to the city and sat at the east of the city, made a booth for himself there. In other words, he's up on a hill looking at the city and what's he gonna do? Is he thinking about that question the Lord gave him? Eh, I don't think so. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. 
He should know what's going to become of the city. It's already happened. There was a revival. These people are now believers. The entire nation, from the highest of the high to the lowest of the low, became believers. But Jonah's like, just maybe, maybe, God, you'll nuke them. Nuke them. I don't know. Have you ever had power, like prayers like, God, take those people out. Take them out. Take them out. Those are called precatory prayers. I used to pray that on certain things and situations. I told you I was a believer with some really rough edges and somebody came alongside me and he's like, you should pray for grace and mercy for them. I'm like, oh, good idea. Jonah's kind of like that. He's a little flying off the handle. Look what happens. God's going to intervene supernaturally just like he always did when Jonah ran. God appoints a fish. He sent a storm. Uses the casting of lots. Uses all these providential and sovereign things to show his superb, ultimate high power over all things. So what's he going to do to get Jonah's attention? Verse 6, now the Lord God appointed a plant. That word appoint, if you're an average Bible student, you should, alarm should go off in your head just a little bit because he appointed something else already. What did he appoint earlier? He appointed that fish, that whale. Now he appoints a plant. He's going, he went big, now he's going small. So the Lord God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah that he might have shade over his head, maybe he had a bald head, and save, to save him from discomfort. So it would have been very discomfortable, less hair you have on your head, I know. That sun hits, you're like, I need some shade. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So he's like, thank you, Lord. God, you're good. But God's going to continue to work with him. He was hoping, maybe the Lord was hoping, that Jonah would, out of God's kindness, go, I better deal with that issue. You asked me a question earlier, Lord, about does it do well to be angry? So I thank you for the shade. I appreciate that. So let me talk to you, Lord. I'm sorry I've been ignoring you. I'm sorry I ran from you. I need to deal with this. I get it. But he doesn't do that. So, but when, verse seven, look what it happens. Verse seven says, but when dawn came, so he sits through it the whole time. He's like, Lord, thank you for that shade. That's awesome. But when dawn came the, the next day, God, what, appointed, ha a worm. And it attacked a plant, and so it withered. That would be very depressing. Like, you had a plant, now you get a worm, it eats it, and now you got nothing. So I can imagine he's frustrated. Verse eight, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on the head, he's bald, so that he was faint and he asked God that he might die. It's better for me to die than to live, God. I mean, this guy is acting suicidal from very early on. So that's why I said earlier, ladies and gentlemen, we need to be like Jesus, not like Jonah. But is Jonah a committed believer? I think he is. I think he's H-U-M-A-N. He's prone to wander. He's prone to leave the God that he loves. That's you and me. We act real foolish sometimes. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, look at this, do you do well to be angry? See how he's slowing them down? Jonah do you do well to be angry? I asked you that the first time. Are you finally getting it? Did did you not see how I have to appoint all these series and these circumstances into your life to slow you down to deal with it? And he says, you know, for the plant. And then he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Have you ever, somebody ever asked you like, hey dude, 
what's wrong? Nothing. No, seriously, like, what's wrong with you? And your eyes twitching. And you're like, freaked out. You're like, nothing's wrong with me. You're like, dude, something is very wrong with you. And you don't even realize it. And that makes it even more wrong. So that's where Jonah's at. Yes, I do well to be angry. (laughs) Like, give me a break. I read that again. I'm like, Lord, this is so humorous. Verse 10, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did it you make it grow, which came into being and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and much cattle. In other words, they're lost as lost can be, and I saved them. Aren't they more important, Jonah? So three observations that you need to take into account about your anger. Let me talk about you for a moment. And I'll tell you, I was the first to put my feet in his shoes. So please don't think I've got it all figured out. But neither do you. We don't go a single day in our life without sinning. The greatest two commandments, love God, love your neighbor. You violate those two commands every single day. The good news is, where sin increases, grace abounds. We've got to take a hard look at ourselves before we can deal with other people. Some of you got modern day Ninevites in your life. They're frustrating. They're in, they're vicious people that are attacking and hurting and harmful, dangerous. And then God does some big work in their life and you're like, seriously, you want me to like that person? I don't like them. But before we deal with them, let's deal with you. Let's deal with me. So three observations about Jonah's anger and put your feet in his shoes. Jonah stuffed it. Are you a stuffer? Do you stuff your anger? And again, remember, anger is not entirely evil. It, it can be used for good in addressing uh, injustice. You can be motivated out of anger, but you can't camp out there. The Spirit of the Lord, there's freedom. Uh, when, when you become a new believer, the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit fills in our, our life with love, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Anger didn't make the list. If you're characterized by anger and then you're stuffing it, this is the kind of person you are. Stuffers are much more like my wife. My wife, she's a good godly lady. I love her to death. She's awesome woman and I had permission to share this. When there's a conflict, she'll take a mental note. Then instead of saying something about it, she won't say anything about it. She'll just kind of like jot it down. And I've had to talk to her about how I hate history lessons when I get into conflict. You ever been there before and you start talking and you're like, how did you have all those notes? Well, I've been taking notes on you. I'm like, oh, no wonder I've been on your bad side for so long. So the stuffers tend to just kind of, like Jonah did, he, he'd kind of been nursing this grudge. And the Apostle Paul talks about bitterness in, in Ephesians, talks about it actually having a demonic influence in your life. Did you know that if you're, if you're stuffing, you, you could be, on a good side, you could be taking time to pray, to think, to evaluate for just a little bit, and then go deal with it, you know? And that would be a good thing. A lot of times, the stuffers don't. They just bring it all in. It's like overeating. They just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep taking it in. And the Bible's like, don't do that. 
Like, we got to keep short accounts with people. That's kind of the way to do it. The Bible says, you know, don't let the sun go down on your anger, meaning like you should deal with your anger issues, what you're frustrated, what, how you were violated, how somebody hurt you, rather than stuff it. Um, as a, I, I grew up in a family of five kids, and I remember one time, my little brother is a stuffer. He's awesome. He's one of my best friends, helped me start this church. But I, I was a mean punk kid to my little brother growing up. I remember we got in the RV one time. We drove up to Canada from Dallas. We got in this big RV, drove up to Canada, and we made lots of pit stops. So you can imagine a bunch of boys in like a gigantic RV driving across country. There's going to be some rumble and bumble. Like, it's going to happen. There's going to be a, a WW throwdown, smackdown. Somebody's going to get the DDT. So anyway, we, my older brother, my younger brother, we're all like, we're fighting and doing something. And then finally I decided to say, hey, Rob, my older brother, I'm like, let's lock David in the bathroom. When we go to dinner, there's such a big crowd. Nobody will know. We'll lock him in the bathroom and he'll be in the bathroom. And he's like eight years old. So we lock him in the bathroom, and we can hear him boom, 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 pounding on the door. Let me out, let me out. And he's claustrophobic, so this is really mean. And so we lock him in there. We go to dinner. My dad says, where's David? I'm like, I don't know. My older brother's like, he's in the bathroom. My dad's like, no way. So we get back in, and we finish up, and we go into the, to the car. And all of a sudden, my dad opens that deal. And my little brother, who's the most kind most meek, most mild, and also probably the biggest stuffer you ever met. He comes out like a fury, like a bat out of hell. He's, he comes at me and just starts pounding me. And guess what? I deserved every lick of that. He pounded me, pounded my brother, and my dad was like, get him, son. (laughs) Because I deserved it. But you got to be careful. If you're a stuffer, be incredibly careful. You will blow eventually. Heard another story about a guy. I've been scuba diving. I've been looking for my wedding ring, so I'm not single. Um, I've been looking for my wedding ring. I lost it in Bartlett Lake. And uh, I just got a group of YouTube divers, like our professional YouTube divers. These guys, like, they dive and they recover things. And I contacted them because my kid's like, Dad, you should contact these, like, YouTube pros. I'm like, dude, that's so dumb. Like, that, that won't work. And then sure enough, I contact them two weeks later, and they're like, oh, yeah, we totally come out. We got a camera crew, got underwater metal detectors. We'll bring a team. I'm like, Sam, you're awesome, dude. Thank you. So I go out there, look for it, can't find it. And so, uh, but before I went, I stopped by uh, Phoenix Scuba, dropped off my tanks. And this guy's got these, like, gnarled up legs. And I'm like, dude, what happened to your leg? And he's like, scuba tank. I'm like, what? What? He's like, yeah, I overfilled the tank. I put it in my trunk and I left it there for like three weeks during the middle of the summer. And the temperature probably got to 130, 140 degrees. And the valve on the tank is the most weak part of it. And it must have been faulty. And it exploded and it went through my car and tore my leg up and then hurt my kids. I was like, dude, I'm so glad. Everybody okay? Yeah, well, just my leg. I'm like, lesson learned. If you stuff... You feel cramped up, put in the trunk of life in a tight spot, you're angry, you're bitter, you're not dealing with it, you might blow. Observation number two, Jonah spewed it. He acts like a fool. He mocks God. He says, I knew you were gracious, God. 
I knew you were merciful, slow to anger. Like, of course, good he's slow to anger. Amen. Isn't, aren't we glad that God is slow to anger, not fast in fury? Jonah was spewing his, his pride and his prejudice. And then he says, therefore, take my life. In other words, he starts crying out to God and saying, I'd just rather die than live. What's he doing? He's spewing. Do you ever do that? You do. I bet a bunch of you do it a lot more than you wish you did. And as I look back on my life, well, I think one of the major turning points for me was how God, when I became a Christian, that part of my life broke down. And there's this thing called sanctification. Like when you become a Christian, it's like God kind of starts working in you and through you, even if you're not even trying as hard, but he will try harder. And what happened in my life was I I think I had this little bit of a generational curse of anger that followed from my great-grandfather to my grandfather to my to me. And when I became a Christian, that was one of the things I was like, God, I don't want to be an angry person. I don't want to be like that. And so I'm proud to say like that spewing little moment in number seven, Monica, at the, by the University of Arkansas, that was the last little event that happened. I did go back in the back room finally when my wife came out and she said, you scared me to death. And I said, I'm sorry, and I repented, and I told the Lord, I'm sorry. I don't want to be an angry person. And if you're not careful, you're going to spew it, and it can destroy yourself, and it can destroy others. I mean, Jonah didn't want God to be gracious. He wanted him to be vindictive. Jonah didn't want God to be merciful. He wanted justice. So he's angry. He didn't want God to be slow to anger. He wanted him to be fast in fury. He didn't want him to be steadfast in love. He wanted to be steadfast to hate. He didn't want him to relent from disaster. He wanted God to drop the hammer. What do you do when God doesn't do what you want? How do you respond when life goes completely the opposite way that you thought it should? Are you a committed believer? Jonah was. He was a committed believer. Let's not throw Jonah under the bus entirely. I think he was a godly man. He was used by God. He was a prophet for the nation of Israel. He led in a political movement to help expand Israel's borders and brought in uh, all sorts of good things into Israel. He hated the Ninevites. And he didn't want to do that. Do you spew your anger? Are you an external processor? If so, you got to be real careful like I do. I'm an external processor. I'll let people know real quick, but I have to dial it back real quick. I mean, I'll tell you an honest confession. I hope the person that wrote this on Facebook isn't here today, but I'll tell you this. I was uh, doing my little deal like, hey, I lost my ring at Bartlett Lake. You know, if anybody knows anybody to help me, that'd be great. And like hundreds of people responded in the community. Oh man, we'll help you. You know, you should contact this group or do this or do that. I'm like, dude, thanks so much. So this goes on for like a week and people are like, I'm on the edge of my seat. I want to know if you find a ring. And then all of a sudden, like a couple little naysayers jump in the group. This like lady jumps in and she's like, well, you shouldn't have gone swimming with your ring. And I'm like, who are you? So I'm like capital letters, thanks, mom. And people immediately are like, yeah, I thumbed up, woo! And then I'm like, oh, dude, like I am a Christian. I am a pastor, like, woo, delete, 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 delete. And then people are like, they'll still come around and be like, remember the thanks, mom? Yeah. 
I can just spew it so easily, but like it doesn't do any good. So how do we deal with anger? Number three, I think God made Jonah study it. What do you need to do with your anger, ladies and gentlemen? I think you need to study it. Like Shrek said, you know, uh, with emotions, you got a lot of layers there. (laughs) You got to figure this thing out. You kind of got to go look at the sin beneath the sin. As Tim Keller said, a Bible teacher out of New York City, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, talks about the sin beneath the sin. It's like layers. There's, There's a lot there. So study it. Was God doing that with Jonah? I think so. He reminded him repeatedly by saying the word, arise, Jonah, arise. He reminded him by appointing divine interventions, protecting him, preserving him with the whale so he wouldn't drown and die. That's grace. Then he asked a question instead of scolds him, Jonah, does it do well for you to be angry? And Jonah doesn't even respond. That's me. There's so many times my wife will slow me down. Seriously, like, you think this is helpful? I'm like, well, you don't even know what's going on. Blah, 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 blah. She's like, time out. When you get really heated up or angry, the best thing you could probably do is like a divine time out. That would be good in your marriage. That would probably be good at work when things get real heated up. Just go, time out. Go back, Lord, I don't even know why I'm so mad right now. I mean, you can feel anger, right? It like pulsates through your body. Like you heat up. And then if you're a spewer, you will abuse people with your words if you're not careful. If you're a stuffer, you'll probably get all sorts of stomach ulcers. Your body will struggle with anxiety, with immense uh, a damaging effect. That's why Jesus says, like, you know, Peter said, you cast your anxiety. You don't, you don't need to carry it. So we've got to deal with our anger. How do we do that? You study it. So how do you study it? Two questions are not on your notes, but I would say number one is just ask the question of yourself this. Just say, God, why am I angry? How many of you have ever been in a fight before and then you get into a fight and then like somewhere when it all cools down, you kind of like, Hey, like, why were we fighting? I don't know. It's weird. Well, you should know. So it's good that you're talking about it and saying, like, why did we fight? Because a lot of times we fight over little things and we don't really need to. But you need to know why you you got upset. Because if you don't deal with it, then you're not going to heal with it. Does that make sense? Like, there's issues that are bothering. So when Leslie tells me that something's bothering her and she addresses it or communicates it and I ask and I tell her I'm sorry I'm like are we good can you tell me more how I offended you how that hurt you I mean right now it's a it can be a a tough time in our marriage because hunting season's kicking up football season is now here and like there's a lot of things that I like to go do you know and so I got to be real intentional with my spouse and if she's not careful in the name of being a good wife, she'll be quiet and not mention anything, but guess what? Stuffing. And then what can happen is like my little brother coming out of a fury like a bat out of hell out of that RV restroom. We love that story. Every time I see Dave, I'm like, not every time, that would be too much. But 
when I see him, I'm like, do you remember the RV? He's like, yeah, I laid it on you and dad loved it. Do you study it? Do you know why you're angry? Ask why you're angry. Secondly, I would just ask the question, of how are you dealing with it? Some of you will let anger be a motivator for you and you could use it for good. You could be angry about something and hopefully you deal with it with the other person that made you angry and you could push yourself through school. You could push yourself to excel in your business. Um, Or you could push yourself to drive into God's word and look for answers and pray a little bit longer and sing a little bit more worship music and fill your heart with good things. Or you could do something else. You could turn to alcohol. You could turn to pills. You could do something more culturally acceptable, but private. You would turn to pornography. Or you could do something even more culturally acceptable is just binge watch for hours and hours and hours. And then if somebody got your log time, you put in like 40 hours in a given week in watching, who knows? So how, do you, how are you dealing with it? Because we all have anger and it, it is an issue. And the only reason why I brought anger up into the highlight into chapter four of Jonah is because the Lord asked the question two different times. Is it well for you? Is it going well for you with that anger? Twice. So that's important. Then Jonah's like freaking out and saying he wants to kill himself all the time. It's like, maybe that's you. Maybe if you're the spewer, and I'm a spewer, but in unhealth, spewers, they're either exaggerating or they're serious. Like they want out. They say crazy stuff. I hate you. F you. I want a divorce. It's over. Did you mean it? That's the question. Did, did you really mean that? Or is that just language? So spewers can be incredibly dangerous. And what God tells us to do is, I don't necessarily want you to stuff it. I don't, I don't really want you to spew it onto people. I'd rather you study it. And so some of you are going to get a divine plant come into your life, bring a little shade, and hopefully out of God's goodness and kindness, you'll recognize your own heart, what's going on. But if you don't, you'll probably send a little worm to chew up that plant, and no longer do you feel God's pleasure, you feel displeasure. And if you don't listen then, he's probably going to bring in a hot wind. And you're going to feel like, dude, I'm getting cooked. I do not like this. So I've said it before, like disobedience takes you down. The worst place you can ever be as a Christian is being disobedient. You got the Holy Spirit, friends. You have God's word. You got God's people. You got enough to figure it out. And if you don't listen, then you get in trouble. And it's the worst place you can possibly be as a believer and deliberate disobedience with any sin. So... How are you going to deal with it? I've given you those categories to think about. Do I stuff it? Do I spew it? And 
just realize you're, you're typically a, you tend or you trend towards stuffing or spewing. And it's okay. You're human, right? You got a personality. But do you study it? Every stuffer needs to study it. Every spewer needs to study it. And we need governors. We need to be careful. We need like throttle governors so we don't freak out on people. Okay, so how do we continue on with this? What I would say is how to deal, now that I've talked to you about dealing with yourself, let me just give you some quick tips on how to deal with people. The modern day Ninevites, the people that drive you crazy, the crazy makers or the storm makers like I talked about a few weeks ago. How do you deal with them? Because that's part of Jonah's issue. He doesn't know how to deal with the Ninevites. They're frustrating. They're national enemies. They are not his kind of people. He doesn't want anything to do with them. So how would you deal with that? Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, the apostle Paul uh, has empowered young Timothy, his protege, to kind of learn how to deal with difficult people. And he says this, and the Lord's servant, he's talking about Timothy, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Let's just camp on that just for a minute. So here's how you deal with difficult people. Number one, you see yourself as God's servant. Identity always determines behavior. If you are a victim, then you're gonna act like a victim. If you have victory in Jesus Christ, then you're going to act like somebody who's got victory in Jesus Christ. If you act, if you think you're a loser, you're probably going to lose. If you step out on the field of life and say, I'm gonna give it my best, I've trained, I'm ready to go, you're probably gonna perform pretty well. If you see yourself as Lord's servant, then that'll determine your behavior. If you say, God, I'm your servant. But too many of us don't wanna be the Lord's servant. We wanna be kings and we wanna be queens. And God says, I ain't got no room for that. You're a servant. That's your identity. Are you cool with that? Jesus was a servant. He was a doulos. That's the Greek word, a bond servant. Are you okay to be the Lord's servant? If you're the Lord's servant, when you're dealing with difficult people, you're like, Lord, I'm here to serve you. I, I don't like these people. You could say that quietly, but I'm gonna be your servant. And you say, love God, love neighbor. These are my neighbors. They're people. So I'm gonna be your servant. Secondly, I would challenging you in this is that you just don't quarrel. You don't fight, you don't argue. And then thirdly, be kind. And so it's summarized in this bullet point right here is that you just quit, you stop arguing and you start being kind. Let's put that, that bullet point up. You stop arguing and you start being kind. Right, right now in American culture, there's so much arguing going on, amen? It's a lot of arguing. You don't leverage your influence as a believer when you argue. Nobody's really impressed with your arguing ability unless you're like in like a good format of, of debate and you're like, you have a platform for that and you're supposed to do that. In high school, imagine it or not, I can't believe it, I was elected to go to Washington, D.C. and do uh, international debates with, with other high school students. And it was awesome. It was really cool. But there was rules on how you debate. And one of them was to be kind. So if you are going to argue, you better absolutely be kind. But most of us just need to stop arguing. Stop your arguing so much. When you get around your friends that are always nodding their head like, yeah, woo, yeah, yes, exactly. 
you didn't really do anything other than make yourself feel good because they think just like you. When, we, when we're in an issue, when we're dealing with modern day Ninevites, people that are not like us, my encouragement to you is to stop the arguing and start being kind because the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to who? To everyone, not just believers, but everyone. That means Muslims, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, anybody and everybody that is different from you. That's what we're called to do. How to deal with difficult people. Stop arguing, start being kind. Kind is not cool in American culture today. My encouragement to you is to be kind. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. That ought to come out in your life. Does it mean that you're a weakling? No, it does not mean you're a weakling. Does it mean that you deny truth? No, it does not mean you deny truth. It means that you behave in such a manner that you're self-restrained from losing your temper. And that you do it in a kind and respectful way to say, I completely disagree with you. But you're entitled to your own opinion and your belief. And leave it there. Secondly, I challenge you how to deal with difficult people is bring the light, not the heat. You're never, as a Christian, told by Jesus or any of his disciples and followers to bring the heat into people's lives. When you get angry, if you're in a room and you're in a situation or you're at home and you're with coworkers and you're talking to coworkers and you can feel the room start to heat up because there's some kind of intense conversations going, usually your, your blood pressure raises. Usually you get a little nervous. Your eye could twitch. And then the other person does too. It's like this secret little, I don't know if it's a secret scent or what happens, but it elevates the entire room. And the Bible tells us that we're to bring the light, not the heat. Jesus said, you're a light to the whole world. So what does light do? It reveals things. So please reveal, please share, please speak truth, reveal things. But you don't have to heat things up. So bring the light, not the heat. And then last, I would just challenge you to get rid of all resentment by giving it to God through prayer. I remember uh, years ago, uh, an individual that was a, kind of like, I would say, a thorn in my side, a very difficult person for me to deal with. And uh, I didn't really, every time I would meet with the individual, I'd have to have like follow-up meetings from that meeting to clarify what went wrong in that meeting. And I could never get anywhere. And I just felt emotionally drained, spiritually beat up, um, annoyed, irritated, frustrated every time I interacted with this individual. And I told my wife, sweetie, I am, I'm growing bitter, like really bad. And I began to resent even seeing this person. And then finally, my wife's like, you should be start praying for him. I'm like, what? Wait a second. Didn't Jesus say that we're to pray for our enemies, love our enemies? So we're challenged in Matthew 5 to to pray and love, for our, love our enemies. 1 Peter 5, 7 says that we're supposed to cast our anxiety on the Lord. We're to go to the Lord, whatever we're anxious about or frustrated about, and that, that the Lord wants to help us in that. And too many of us try to carry our anxiety and our frustration. And so I want to challenge you. Main idea here today, and I'll close out in prayer, is that you didn't want to be like Jesus, not like Jonah, when it comes to dealing with difficult people, or learning how to deal with anger. Jesus, when he was confronted with a tough situation, I think of the lady who was caught in an adultery. 
The Pharisees and the scribes, they caught this woman in adultery, and by law, ancient law, they had the right to put her to death by their law. And they come to Jesus and say, what do you think we should do? And Jesus, knowing that he was being tested, he said these famous words that we might have heard. Is, he said, you who is without sin, you be the first to throw a stone. In other words, if, if you're sinless, if you're perfect, go ahead, throw it at her. And one by one, those guys just dropped those stones and they went home. And Jesus comes up to her and he says to her, he says, hey, does anybody here condemn you? And she said, no, not, not a single one. And he said, neither do I. So now go and leave your life of sin, sin no more. There's a way to handle conflict without condemning somebody, but correcting them and making sure that happens. You and I, when we're dealing with hot situations, really tough situations, we need to be more like Jesus and less like Jonah. We need to be like God, slow to anger, not fast in fury. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I pray that the Word of God might be applied in the lives of hearts here today. I pray that the homes where anger has been provide, uh, kind of permeating the home would be broken today in the name of Jesus for every stronghold of anger or resentment or bitterness. It would be broken today in the name of Jesus. I pray for healing and help, Lord, as people turn towards their sin and see it and say, I want no more of that and then turn towards you. Would you heal that in the name of Jesus? I thank you, God, that you have broken generational bondages and, and of anger and addiction in many people's lives here today. And I pray, God, that more and more authority and access would be given among our people to allow you, the Holy Spirit, to minister powerfully and that we would be more and more like Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, Give today at northvalleychurch.org.